0: Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters, the only podcast that'll make you think and make you drink. My name is Matt and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And speaking of which, what are you drinking?
1: I am excellent and I am drinking a Mission Omission Pale Ale. Uh, and I, I guess they call it the Omission because it's actually gluten-free. And I was just curious and it's very tasty. It's gluten-free beer? Yeah. Really? And it's good? It's actually really good. It's surprisingly good. And it's got alcohol in it? Yeah, five point eight percent. My voice gets higher?
0: <laughs> no? Okay. I, I I don't know if anybody's gonna be mad at me, but I'm drinking Echinacea throat coat tea.
1: So you're officially a hipster? <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm drinking tea because my throat kinda hurts. I don't know if you could tell, but it's been it's like freezing out here. It's like it's what are we uh almost in May and it's like thirty two degrees. It's basically snowing here. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it just killed my throat because it's been so nice. But anyway, I digress. Before we get started, if you have a question about personal finance, including income, debt, budgeting, or investing, shoot us an email with your questions at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Also, we want your submissions for catchphrases at the beginning of the show. So send those in via Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Money Matters man, and we really want to hear from you guys, and we want to answer your questions on the show today. We have a guest. Her name is Lori Itkin, founder of the OptionsLady.com, a site devoted to teaching women and couples how to control their finances, overcome fear of investing, and grow their money. Lori is a author of Every Woman Should Know Her Options, a book on investing that details how she built a million-dollar stock portfolio before the age of 40. She's also a regular contributor to DailyWorth.com and Stilettos on the Glass Ceiling. That makes me laugh for some reason. She graduated from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, my neck of the woods, and Lori currently works as a financial advisor and a money manager. Lori, how are you and what are you drinking this morning?
2: I'm great, Matt and Andrew. Thanks for having me, and you know, since I am a... and now a California gal living in San Diego, you'd expect me to be drinking mimosas at 10 a.m., but in fact, <laughs> I, would be. Um, I already have my coffee, I'm drinking water, but I am very intrigued by this gluten-free beer because I had to give up gluten about a year and a half ago and I assumed I had to give up beer altogether because the gluten-free beer, it, I thought, wasn't very good. So after the show, Andrew, you'll have to send me an email with the information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just gave up gluten uh, for the heck of it. Do you have celiacs?
2: I, if, I, if I don't, I'm very close to it. I didn't know what was bothering me for about eight years. I'll tell you, I'm 45, and when I was in my 20s and 30s, I could eat bagels and pizza, and, you know, all that stuff, and no longer.
0: I'm telling you, I think we're
1: evolving. I think we're <laughs> all evolving. The terrible side effect is now you're more fit and healthier.
2: I weigh less than I did when I was 15, and yes, being in California, I do yoga all the time.
0: Must be nice, especially in the nice weather in San Diego, the complete opposite.
2: today. Yeah,
0: and you've, you lived in Philadelphia for a while, right? So you know how yep. it is out here.
2: Right, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania originally, and uh, believe me, I can't, I'll tell you stories, I was beat up all the time in grade school, <laughs> and they'd throw me on the ice and the slush.
0: So you're you're just you're so you're used to the cold, you you migrated to the west and now it's like it's paradise. And I, I one paradise. day I hope to do that. <laughs> I really do. So I wanna start I want you to tell us this is a segment that we uh started called Better Know a Millionaire and Laurie is a millionaire. So how did you become one?
2: Well, you know, people don't really like the answer, but it took a lot of time and being years of being frugal. I mean, you, you look at most wealthy people. I mean, you even look at Warren Buffett. He lives very frugally. That really is the number one key. We all can do it. Live below your means. So the, the story is that uh, when I was 24 years old, I was living in Washington, D.C. I had already been laid off twice. All right. 24 mm. years old, been laid off twice. My grandmother dies, gives me a $1,600 inheritance, and I decided instead of buying clothes and shoes that I desperately would want to do, as most 24-year-old women would want to do, I bought 40 shares of Starbucks, and the rest is history.
0: Wow. What made you buy Starbucks?
2: Well, and this is what I tell people in my book, every woman should know her options. You know, as a money manager, I'm managing, you know, multi-million dollars and we always talk about diversification, but when you're just starting out and especially for women, you know, buy a few shares of stock of something you know and you like, okay? Mm-hmm. I liked Starbucks was pretty new back then. I loved the cafes, I loved the co- the coffee. And as long as you don't put all your eggs in one basket, you start diversifying by, by buying a few shares of this company, a few shares of that company. After a few years, you've got a pretty good diversified portfolio.
0: Wow. And you just kept pumping money into that.
2: I kept So I had no car. I lived in a crappy studio apartment. I had plastic furniture. And I thought the only way that I'm going to grow wealth is by controlling it myself. I can't rely on an employer after being laid off twice with a Wharton <laughs> degree of finance <laughs> right. from Ivy League University. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I started on a path where every job, um, you know, I was making $24,000 a year my first job, but every job, you know, I would open up the company-sponsored retirement plan. I worked for a nonprofit. They have a retirement plan. And I just... Every paycheck put a little bit in. And then when I would get a raise at work or a bonus later in my career, the entire raise and bonus would go into a brokerage account. Wow. And then I tell you, by the time I was 40, I had a million dollar portfolio. You just keep adding small amounts. There's compound interest. (laughs) I teach this in my book. And there's diversification. And the most important thing is when you're young, in your 20s, you have to take risk. You cannot grow wealth by leaving your money in a checking account or under a mattress. You must take risk.
1: I absolutely agree with you there. So I'm curious: um, when you were young, you know, before you were a millionaire, what did you wind up spending most of your money on, and and has that changed?
2: <laughs> so uh, I got married at 39, and my husband still can't believe how frugal I am. Um, it, honestly. You know what? I know people like to spend money and they like nice things, but this is especially important for women. The sense of empowerment you get when you see your stock portfolio grow. And if you're smart and you don't throw all your money in you know, a social media company or Tesla or whatever, if you really think about having money in different industries, some international, some domestic, some commodities maybe a few little bonds, your money will grow over time. It may go up and down and up and down, but the secret is if you keep adding money. So I would look at my account and I'd say, would I rather pay $250 for this purse or would I rather be able to afford two purses eight years from now? And that's how I thought about everything.
1: So I don't know if you heard Matt Snicker when you said uh, you mentioned Tesla. Uh, I I own Tesla, and it's done pretty good for me. What do do you have against uh, Elon Musk?
2: Oh, I love him. I wish I wasn't married and he was single, but that's besides the point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, with
0: like eight Um, kids or whatever. You
2: know, I have so many. Okay, because I coach, too. For people, basically, if you have $200,000 in assets, I can manage your money for a fee. But many people starting out don't have that. So I teach them. I have a coaching program where I teach you how to open up an online brokerage account, how to search for stocks and exchange traded funds. And I can't tell you how many people have wanted to throw everything they have into Tesla. Well, you're looking pretty smart right now. uh, But you know what? What if Tesla was a total bubble and pummeled? You wouldn't feel very smart. So you can't. This is not the lottery. This is not gambling in Vegas. Mm -hmm. You cannot put all your money in one basket.
0: So that's a you're just you're basically diversification.
2: Absolutely not. It's the number one thing.
0: And I mean, this is your investment strategy. Do you still? I mean, I'm I'm assuming you still invest.
2: Of course, I. So I mean, I live the California lifestyle. The market opens up at six thirty. I get up. I'll check the markets. Then maybe I'll take an hour off, go to yoga class, you know, and then then maybe I'll play squash at lunch. I have a very nice lifestyle, but I'm always checking the markets for my clients and for myself. And what I've graduated into and what I teach in my book is once you've amassed some wealth and you get older, you want to reduce the risk. Mm -hmm. And you can do that by a strategy called covered calls. It's an option strategy, and people think options are very risky, but it depends how you use them. So you basically overlay this approach on a well-diversified portfolio of stocks and exchange-traded funds, and you generate income. I teach people, instead of all these people, they want to buy property and rent it out for income. Well, I teach people how to rent out their stock. That's in Chapter 6 of my book. And then in Chapter 7 of my book, I teach people how to get paid to wait to buy stock on sale. And I buy all my clothes and shoes on st- sale. Still to this day, and I buy my stock on sale.
0: And that's what I was going to ask. Uh, so you mentioned you were frugal. Yeah. So you, do you still uh, like worry about money and like go out and like bargain
2: hunt for stuff? Absolutely. And I negotiate everything. Um, uh, absolutely. I mean, come on. There's no reason why. You know, I have a, well, I have, it's issues. So my husband likes the finer things. He likes single malt scotches. Mm. He likes organic food. He likes the latest Apple product. Uh, Who doesn't? You know, he's he's uh, me. He's basically <laughs> me. <laughs> and, um, and that's why we have separate accounts. I'm married. I uh, had a prenup. I asked for a prenup. He yeah. agreed. And, um, you know, that's the thing in relationships. When somebody's frugal and their partner's not, it creates a lot of anxiety and conflict. Mm-hmm. And I recommend that when people partner up, whether they're married or just living together, um, you know, make sure you have separate accounts and then you decide know, what's, a, what's a common cost. You I'm know, glad like- you said that
1: because uh, me and my wife actually moved to that. We had all of our stuff joint and we actually moved towards that model because you're so right.
2: Yeah, people think it's a little nutso, but honestly, um, there are many ways to combine fi- finances um, when you're together. And what my husband and I do is we have a joint account for the mortgage, for the utilities. Um, his daughter lives with us full time. So, um, you know, in return, you know, I started a 529 college savings account for her. That's my gift to her. And, um, you know, when he wants to go out, he, he I tell you, one night he drove home the garage, I hear a different car pull into the garage. You know, it just sounded too <laughs> powerful. I run down to the garage. He's got this huge grin on his face and he says to me, Guess how much money I saved on this Cadillac CTSV.
0: That <laughs> <laughs> it was it good? Would he save a lot?
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, here I am, I'm a money manager and he's mm-hmm. trying to like rationalize this. He says, Zero percent <laughs> financing. <laughs> oh. And I said, Well that's great, baby. You have no debt, but how much was the effing car? Right. and okay? you still have to pay for the car.
0: Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean it's so but,
2: joint accounts <laughs> or <so> separate accounts.
0: <laughs> you don't you don't like do and you don't like buy any like extravagant top shelf I'm items sure for yourself? Fit. Okay. I sh-
2: when i turned um 40 wait how old was i yeah i think i was oh uh, no i was 42 and i had to drive to la a lot for a job and uh so i bought myself a used bmw entry level the 128i mm-hmm. i was i bought it at carmax 13000 miles on it was 26000 bucks beautiful red leather it's 7 years old now it's a 2008 so it was probably made in 2007 why would I need I, – I, if, I, if I had bought it new, it would have been 15000 more. So I said to myself, do I want the new BMW or the old BMW? And that 15000 I can invest in the stock market, and it's going to grow.
0: It looks like we're uh, developing a pattern here. The last guy we talked to also owned a BMW, and I <laughs> owned a BMW. So we must all be <laughs> in the same
1: circle. The only difference is they have millions of dollars, and you don't. Oh, right. Uh, oh, right. <laughs>
2: And the other you, thing, the other thing about being frugal, everyone thinks, "Oh, you should own instead of rent, and I know where you guys live, especially if you live in in New York, too. You know you may not have a choice. you may have to rent, but uh-huh. this whole American dream of owning real estate, I don't buy into it at all. I refuse to own everything. Well that was one of the other important decisions I made that I talk about in the book is that here I am, you know, in a corporate environment, you know moving up the ladder, and I could certainly afford to buy a condo. And I didn't want to because the thought of taking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars out of my stock brokerage account for a down payment made me want to vomit. All
0: right, I gotta, I gotta dig into this. Okay. I gotta dig into this because we're hearing. I, I just want to point out, we're hearing from a millionaire mm-hmm. that buying a house may not be that great of an option. Correct. And I, I bought a house and now I'm underwater and now I rent. <laughs> And I, I regret, I, I don't say I regret it. No, I regret it. I regret How buying. How could you not regret it? Yeah, I mean, I regret buying. And, you know, at the time, I bought it in 2008, of course. on uh, I, I closed on October 3rd. So, uh, like, what, four days after that, Black Monday? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just ever since then, it's been, you know, I've had this really high interest rate for my house. And. I got five years out of it and now I rent it out, but I still I'm still underwater. I still don't make enough to cover it. And I'm I was on board I'm like, you know what, why is renting so bad?
2: Well, renting people think I'm crazy, but you know what? And then they tell me, Laura, you don't get the tax deduction. But you know, Matt, it's like, you know, with the with the HOA fees and the property tax, and so you don't get a tax deduction, Mm -hmm. you know, the people let's just look at two thousand and eight. Um, the people you know the stock market crashed. the, uh, the S&P 500 was down 38 percent in 2008 had you done nothing had you just left your money there not attitude not taking it out you are much better off today a few years later so when people tell me real estate's much safer than the stock market I take issue with that the real successful people are diversified they own both real estate and stock but when you don't have that much money how can you diversify? I mean, houses, condos, whatever. I mean, you know, you can spend five. I mean, something can cost five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, a million in California. Yeah. How are you diversified when all your money goes into one property? Yeah, it's, it's impossible.
0: It takes a lot of money to start that investment. Where absolutely with buying stocks isn't. You over
2: leverage your stuff. You over leverage yourself in real estate. And what kind in the stock market? it'd be pretty hard to just put 20% down and trade. The margin accounts, they won't even let you do that. Yet in real estate, for real estate investing, we let people put 20% down or less in the old days, and, and they're they're totally leveraged, and then they go underwater, then they have to foreclose. I, I honestly think real estate is very risky. Mm-hmm. You can make a lot of money in real estate, but don't be fooled into thinking because it's a hard asset and it's safe. We learned that. I mean, we learned that over the past decade. Yeah, and
0: I learned it from a personal experience, for sure. So, uh, so you don't own a house? That's.
2: Well, we no, I have to. Oh, okay. I had to buy a house because when my, my, my now husband and boyfriend, when we were, I met him when I was 35, and then, you know, everything was good and we decided to move in together, he refused to rent because mm. he was divorced and he was already renting now because he had this huge mansion. I mean, well, not, you know, I would say mansion in terms of, um, it was an over, it was over a million dollars. Okay? okay. That may not go that far somewhere else, but it was a very big house. And I said, I wanted to rent and he refused. So we bought a house, we bought a condo together and I was frugal. He wanted a four bedroom home. I said, no damn way. I'm paying over a million dollars for a house. Right. And, uh, we bought a condo, which is very cozy, um, and I'm still upset about it because we <laughs> bought in 2004, and we're probably underwater too.
0: Right. Uh, so, I mean, what's the worst thing about being a millionaire?
2: Is there is there a worse thing? Uh, it Honestly, I have to tell you this. It is financial freedom. I worked my butt off all these years, and I wasn't in the finance industry. I was in a, another corporate industry, and I was frugal, and I saved, I invested, and you know what? I was able, you know, in my early 40s to chuck the corporate life, stop, be raising, you know, rising, you know, trying to have to move for my career and this and that. I was able to start my own business. I was able to become an author. I wrote a book in nine months. I, I started to build a money management practice because when you start a business, I tell entrepreneurs this, you need money. To live on while you're building up your client base, and the biggest mistake I see people make is they cash out their 401ks mm-hmm. or their 403bs, pay the penalty, pay the interest, uh, uh, the uh, the tax on the income. Uh, start a business. The business doesn't make much money, and then they haven't spent any time saving for their retirement. We have a huge retirement crisis for self-employed people. They will have no money, most of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the million dollars I don't really care. I don't live a pretentious lifestyle. I'm not, you know, I'm flamboyant and all that. It gives me emotional mental security that, that I could said, start my own business.
1: That said, uh have you ever, you know, now that you have, you know, millions of dollars, have you ever gone to a place and and made it rain? Right.
2: <laughs> right. So um so yeah, so people that's that's the other thing. I don't I don't I don't flaunt the wealth and really, you know, a million dollars isn't all that much money when you look at, you know, <laughs> in yeah, the, right. the, the neighborhood I live in. <laughs> um uh, you know, I, I basically the way that I am generous with my money is I'm um I do a lot of philanthropy <clears throat> excuse me, philanthropy. Uh for instance, I'm a squash player. Okay, I compete in tournaments, I love it, and so I um, uh, give give um, every year to a, a group called Access Youth Academy that actually takes kids. Their parents have never attended or graduated from college. Most of them are immigrants, um, and we teach them how to play squash. We teach them how to do community service, and we tutor them. And after all these years now, we've just had our second class of graduates, and these kids are getting, like, gate Scholarships. Full scholarships to Ivy League universities to play squash. These are kids that are were, you know, political refugees from Africa, um, cute, illegal immigrants from Cuba. I mean, it's amazing. That's how I like to spend my money to help people and be generous.
0: That is admirable. I mean, I think we. I mean, we had a question, and I kind of want to rephrase it. Because it goes along these lines. and The, the original question was, if you, could give, if you had to give away all your money to one organization, who would you give it to? But I want to rephrase that and say, like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, if you had to give 50% away, would it be this organization you're working with now?
2: Well, if I was going to give that much money away, as being the um, analytical person I am, you know, mm-hmm. I my manage portfolios, I would want proposals submitted to me. Um, I would want really them to tell me why my dollar is going to add the the most value to their organization and their participants in their organization. And I can tell you, though, what I would definitely do is give give something that provides education to somebody that without the money would have no hope of being educated. To me, that's the number one value is education. My husband shares that value. I can tell you that had I not had an education. You know, my I I so I, I worked my butt off in high school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I really wanted to go to the Wharton School. Mm-hmm. And after student loans, after work study, after grants, I was still a third short every year. And my grandfather paid for that gap. He made an investment in me. I will never forget it. I talk about him in my book. And I think when you can invest in an education for a bright hard working child that 's the best money spent
1: yeah i I absolutely
0: agree with that, and I think Andrew would too
1: that 's a powerful story yeah my my parents helped me as well, and infinitely grateful
2: yeah, well, a lot of kids feel entitled to it, so you know they they don 't they take it for granted yeah. so i 'm glad you feel that way. It's very important
1: me, me and my parents had many battles over it, and i even a long story, but yeah it 's just you got to appreciate and do something with it you know you can 't just get a business degree and you know so during this time like as you were building up this wealth i'm sure
0: you've made some failures along the way
2: absolutely so um you know like with the tech bubble of 2000 sure i bought all the fun internet stocks and all that and so while i might have had a large loss in my portfolio <clears throat> you could say that was a mistake um, but lots of people did it so if I'm, if I'm at least if I'm stupid I'm not the stupidest <laughs> on the chain that always makes me feel good but you know that's the reality of investing the mistake I made is I wasn't diversified enough like I was just going after the pretty internet stocks you know I was going after the stocks that just were going way up in value and you know they crashed so that was a mistake But how I recovered from the mistake is infinitely more important. Did I freak out? Did I stop? Did I pull all my money out of the stock market and say I'm done? Absolutely not. I kept putting more money in. Mm -hmm. Okay, And I got smarter about, well, maybe I should be in some industrial companies. Maybe I should be in some healthcare companies. Maybe I should look at funds where I spread my risk. And, you know, what I always say about the stock market is learn your lessons while you're young because they will be small. You'll lose a small amount of money when you're young because when you get older, like my age, and you're trading in much higher lots, the pain will be worse.
0: I want to ask uh, how you feel about – how do you coach people who are, say, 40, 45, 50 – and they've never done, they haven't done any investing up until now.
2: That's my whole book. my whole book, I'm agnostic about whether you hire a money manager to manage your money or you do it yourself. I have a whole chapter about women in their – it's called Even Grandma's Trade Options. It's all women in their 60s who have been burned by financial advisors in the past. There's good ones. There's bad ones. There's bad apples and everything, um, or maybe they had unrealistic expectations. They are now picking stocks and exchange-traded funds. They're, 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 they're selling puts, they're, they're trading covered calls. Those are the two most conservative option strategies. Those are actually less risky than just buying stock on its own. Those are the only two strategies I teach. Um, and, you know, if women in their 60s can do it, grandmas, anyone can.
0: So it's never too late to invest.
2: Absolutely not. Hmm. You may change what you invest in. But the, the, the problem with keeping money in cash or bonds, bonds are paying, you know, I mean, 2%, if you're lucky, municipals, you know, you, bond, interest rates are so low right now in this decade that um, you just can't grow your wealth. Maybe you can keep up with inflation. But, you know, you just got to, what, what people fail to do, people say don't trade too much, don't be an active trader. But on the other hand, they say I'm a buy and hold investor. What they really mean is they're a buy and ignore investor. And you cannot go five years without looking at your statement. You have to pay attention. It it becomes part of your life, like brushing your teeth every day. Mm-hmm.
0: And I imagine you manage your own money, right? You don't have a well, of
2: course, because people pay me to manage right, their right, money, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> and I take more risk in my own portfolio. I do other strategies because it's it's my money. But I'm very conservative with other people's money.
0: Do you use any like tools, like to um, use a like Mint or? Uh, do you do any online brokerage stuff like with ShareBuilder or e or any of those guys? Yeah, do you recommend so I, anyone?
2: I always recommend TD Ameritrade. The mm-hmm. trade commissions aren't as cheap, but the platforms are phenomenal. They also have a paper money platform. Um, their research is great. I love, um, especially if you're getting started with options, I love what they do. ShareBuilder's great if you're just starting out with small amounts of money. But frankly, the point is just get started with something. and mint i mean i like mint a lot um but um and i think people who say they can't budget or it's overwhelming they i'm glad you brought up mint because it's free Mm -hmm. and it is a very good tool for for tracking all your accounts and for budgeting and seeing where your money goes
0: well i definitely think that we have to have you back on to talk about options and and get more in depth into the trading aspect and the investing part of it
2: yeah i would love to And, and um Again, if people are interested, you know the 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 least expensive way to work with me is buy a copy of my book. And it, it, despite the title, men like it too. It's the same strategies. as just talk. You know, I just tell it from a woman's perspective. And they can and, um, get that on uh, Amazon or wherever? They can get on Amazon, but if they order from my website directly, I sign the book and send them free shipping anywhere in the U.S. And, and that's, so that's uh, theoptionslady.com.
0: Right. So to wrap things up. What's the single most important thing you've learned about uh, yourself or money after becoming a millionaire?
2: The single most important thing is that um, no matter what your background, no matter what you know, your IQ, it doesn't matter. You need to be in control of your money. You need to know where it is. You need to know what to do with it. You need to educate yourself because nobody cares more about your money than you do.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a very good lesson, and I would absolutely agree with that. And So your website is theoptionslady.com, and they can find your book there. It's Every Woman Should Know Her Options. You got it. And where else can people find you online? Are you on any social networks?
2: Of course. I'd have to be. At link, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. The Options Lady has a Facebook site. Um, Twitter, it's Laurie underscore Itkin. Um, and I'm haven't. i I'm avoiding Pinterest. I refuse to go on it. I don't you need fused? another network.
0: <laughs> I, I love Pinterest, but yeah, it, it can get overwhelming <laughs> for sure. Well, Laurie, thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. It was fun. Hope to be back.
0: Yeah, thank you. And guys, thanks for hanging out with us today. And remember, if you have any questions and you'd like us to answer them, please email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. We really want to hear from you guys. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it's on our website or wherever other crazy networks we happen to be on. And we mentioned Mint. Lori likes Mint. We wrote a book called Mastering Mint that help you uh, learn the ins and outs of using this free tool. And you can find it at masteringmint.com. Just enter the promo code podcast and you'll get five bucks off. And last but not least, if you want to learn more about personal finance and money management, we're always writing new stuff and posting up new episodes of this show at listenmoneymatters.com. So that's it. Laurie, thanks again for hanging out with us. And Andrew, I'll see you in the future. Later, man. All right. Later, guys.